He was a young man and he grew up in one of the wealthiest homes in the nation. His father was self-made. He was an entrepreneur. He'd started multiple businesses. And so by the time this young man was in high school, he had been on vacations that most never have the opportunity to go on. His education was among the most elite. He wanted for nothing. And as he was approaching his graduation, he he let his father know, Dad, the, the only thing that I want, I've made good grades, I've studied hard, I've done my best, the only thing I want is a convertible sports car. Which for this father was nothing. Simple, easy to accomplish. There was no request this son could give this father that this father could not write a check for. This kid let all of his dad's friends know, hey, if you have any leverage, if you have any influence with my dad, just let him know, when I graduate, the only thing I want is a convertible sports car. And so his friends would whisper in his ear, this dad, and say, hey, you know the kid's a great kid. He's made good grades. He's got scholarship offers. And the only thing he wants is that car. you got to get him that car. You, you have such a good kid. Graduation came and the ceremony was over and they returned to the estate. And his father said, son, I want you to come with me. And they walked into his office, an office that is bigger than many homes. The dad sat down behind the desk and the son sat on the other side of the desk and On the desk was a wrapped present, beautiful wrapping paper, beautiful bow, perfectly wrapped. And the father pushed it across the desk and said, this is your graduation present. And the son inside immediately became angry. That's not at all what he wanted. He'd made it so clear to his father what he wanted. He tried to hide his his anger and his disappointment in the moment as he was processing all of these feelings because he, he just had one request. And it's not like it would have been impossible for his father. He took the present. He removed the bow and he opened the wrapping paper. And as he opened the box, inside the box was a Bible. And the son just couldn't take it anymore. And he shoved the box back across the desk toward his dad and stood up and said, that's the story of my life and started to leave the study. The father stood to his feet and said, son, aren't you going to read what I wrote in it? And he looked at his dad and he said, no, I, I don't need anything in that right now. I've got a whole life ahead of me, maybe at some point, but, but you knew what I wanted and that is absolutely not what I wanted. He walked upstairs, packed his bags, and that was the day that he left. He used his family name, which in that part of the country was a household name. He used his dad's name to get a job, and he did very well, and he began to get promoted, and he he, he was very successful. He met a young lady he fell in love with. They got married. His father was not invited to the wedding. He cut all contact from his father. He would not answer his phone calls. He would not return his emails. To him, the relationship was over. The marriage happened, and they were growing as a family. The, the first, first child comes, and there's no announcement, not even a phone call to his father. It goes by without even acknowledging his dad. 
He's becoming more and more successful. He now is very well off on his own. And the second child comes. And his dad is not notified. He tells him nothing about it. And then something happened as he's watching his older child grow and now this new baby. Something happened inside him. And he had this desire to somehow, if possible, restore the relationship. A relationship that he knew he had broken. Because of the the disappointment. And because of the feeling of, Dad, this, this would have been so easy for you. The only thing I asked. And as he was processing those feelings and looking at his own kids, he decided to reach out to his dad. He began to have conversations and his father was thrilled at the prospect of that. Years had gone by. It had been over 25 years now. And so they made plans to travel across the country to see his dad, where he could introduce his wife and his two kids to his father. The week they were supposed to go, he got a call that his father had unexpectedly had a heart attack and suddenly died. They now traveled across across the country to go to that home because he was an only child. And to go through the estate, his father had left everything to him. Because of the wealth, he had people helping him pack things up and decide what to sell and decide what to give away and what to donate and get all the affairs in order. And on that day, he walked back into a study that he'd left 25 years before. And he sat down behind the desk where his father sat every day. He thought about the memories from when he was younger playing with toys in that room and and his father hushing him while he was on the phone because of the call. He, He thought about all the things and he thought about the last day he was in that room. And as he was thinking about that and a couple of people were helping box things up in the room and take things off the shelves, he looked up and he noticed on the bookshelf right in the corner by the window a package with the same wrapping paper. And he walked over and he took it off the shelf and he set it on the desk and he opened it a second time. And this time, as he started to open the Bible, he noticed there was a marker, Matthew chapter 7, one verse that his father had underlined that he hoped he would read on that day 25 years before. And in this one verse found in Matthew 7, Paraphrasing, it says, If evil, sinful, broken fathers give good gifts, how much more will a loving, perfect, heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit when we ask Him? And the son was so moved with emotion, he picked that Bible up to embrace it, and as he did, a key fell out. And he noticed it was a car key. He immediately went to the garage a large garage, that garage larger than my home, larger than your home, multiple cars inside that garage, and against the wall was one car with a cover over it full of dust. And as he pulled the cover off, he noticed it was the convertible sports car. His father had given him exactly what he asked for. It just didn't come to him how he thought it would. 
So he pushed back and rejected exactly what he'd been asking for. Because it came to him in a way that was unexpected. I thought about the events in the life of this young man, and I I thought about the reality that so often we ask God for things in life. We ask the Heavenly Father to bless our marriage and bless our family. We ask God for patience. We ask God for provision. We ask God to help us forgive and we ask God for forgiveness and we we ask God for wisdom and we ask God for help in making decisions. And, And I wonder how many times in life we have pushed back the gift that is exactly what we were asking for because we didn't recognize the wrapping. We didn't see how it was being delivered. I wonder how many things over the decades of our lives have sat in the corner collecting dust that could have been being used in our lives because we pushed back something the Father was giving us that was exactly what we were asking for, but we didn't recognize how it was coming. Today, we're talking about how you and I are made for more. Last week, we discovered two prayers that begin the journey of experiencing this made-for-more life. You were made for more. Is it possible that you were made for more than the life you're living right now? And if that's possible, what are the things that are missing? And, and some things are missing because we don't pray the two prayers we talked about last week. Other things are missing because often in life we have pushed back the gifts of God where he was delivering what we were asking for in unexpected ways. Today, I want to talk about two essential ingredients to the made made for more life. You you have to have these two ingredients. Without these two ingredients, you will not live a made for more life. And the thing about these two ingredients, in our human nature, as we discuss these two ingredients, you are inclined and I am inclined to embrace one and push back the other. It is very challenging and very difficult because of our personalities to accept and receive and embrace both of these things into our lives. And depending on how your personality is and and, and your bent in life and how you think and the experiences you've had in life, you more than likely will embrace one while rejecting the other. But to experience made for more, to follow Jesus as a follower of Christ... Uh, one who had both of these ingredients in his life, you've got to embrace both. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. You and I are called to live a life of grace and truth. And for some of us, it's it's easy to embrace grace, but we push back on truth. For others, it's easy to embrace truth, but we reject grace. Jesus was full of grace and truth. What, What are you full of? Because we're all full of something. 
I was in a coffee shop recently and we were staying there. I was there for a meeting and they filled the coffee mug and I had to be careful taking it to the table because it was filled. Have you ever gotten a drink that's just filled right to the top? Where if, if you shake it at all, if you touch it at all, if you move it at all, it's going to overflow. That is the picture of a follower of Jesus and the relationship that we should have with him in this life. That our relationship with Jesus should be such that whenever we are slightly shaken, grace and truth overflow. Grace is what saves us. Truth is what frees us. And biblically, you cannot separate these these two characteristics. They always go together. They are forever connected in the life of Jesus, and they are to be in your life and mine. As the follower of Jesus, they're to be connected. We're, we're to fully have both and have both fully. Grace that saves us and truth that frees us. And maybe you're here today, and you're not a Christ follower. And part of the reason you're not a Christ follower is that you have known some people that claim to follow Jesus and you have no doubt they know truth, but grace was absent. And you rejected what was harsh and unloving. Or or maybe you see and know Christ followers that embrace grace. But you've even heard of verses in the Bible or principles from Scripture that they just walk through life ignoring and that kind of emptiness, that kind of hypocrisy, you you don't want that. You want something that's authentic. So this morning, I have to ask the question, are, are you, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you living in an extreme? Are you li- living in an extreme of grace or an extreme of truth? Are you living fully in both? Jesus came with both. Now, the truth is powerful. Scripture tells us the truth is what sets us free. The truth. And when it comes to truth, truth is truth. There is not your truth and my truth and their truth and our truth. There is truth because truth is not an idea. Truth is not a philosophy. Truth is actually a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I don't get to redefine what God has already defined and created in a person. All you've got is truth, though. You'll be mean and you'll be harsh. And you'll have no credibility with people in real life. See, truth without grace leads to hopelessness. People who embrace truth without grace have very little, if any, empathy. They have no understanding. They don't typically function in love. And other people reject them because what they offer seems impossible and hopeless. In fact, parents, if you want to guarantee that your children will live messed up lives, if you want to guarantee children who push back and rebel, then you lead your family with rules and religion and no relationship. Truth. And then there's grace. Grace saves us. But some say, man, I've got grace. I've experienced the grace of God. So it doesn't matter what I do. I I prayed that prayer. I gave my life to Jesus. I can live however I want to live. God is obligated to get me to heaven when I die. And because he's a loving God, he's kind of supposed to bless me no matter what I do. I've I've got grace. Who are you to judge me? What I'm doing is no big deal. See, grace without truth leads to relativism. 
You can do whatever you want. There's no absolute truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. They can both be okay. You can't tell me what to do. God can't even tell me how to live. There's no such thing as truth. We're just all figuring it out for ourselves. And I'll decide based on my experiences and how I feel and what I think what my truth is going to be. Grace without truth says things like, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're happy. Grace without truth says, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Grace without truth says, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're, as long as you're not hurting anybody. Grace without truth means we accept everything without any standard. Grace without truth means that I'm, I'm supposed to applaud any decision you make in life and say, yes, go man, go. That's grace without truth. So, so how do you and I, as followers of Jesus, in a post-Christian culture, when Jesus and the ideas of Scripture have been marginalized and pushed to the edge and called extreme and sometimes even dangerous, how do we live a life following Jesus in this kind of world full of grace and truth? I think many have taken the option of just just give me just a little bit of Jesus. A, a small dose of Jesus. I, I just want enough Jesus to make me feel a little bit better about myself. I, I want enough of Jesus. I, I, I'm going to go on Instagram and I'm going to listen to my favorite preacher, not the whole sermon, just like a minute on a reel. And I'm going to double tap and like that because it gives me a warm, feel good kind of feeling. I found a, a minute that tells me that I'm blessed by God and I'm empowered by God and I'm a child of the King and a lot of good stuff that's true. I, I want to hear, but, but it's all grace. And, and, and I might even put praise hands in the comments. Just, 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 just give me a little bit of Jesus. I, I want just a little bit of Jesus. Not enough to change my life, just enough to change my mood. That's all I really want. Or maybe just a little bit of Jesus. I'm going to read the verse of the day because I don't want to break that streak. In the version app, it shows me the streak of how many days in a row I've met it. And I, I'm not going to read too much. I'm not going to go do a devotional or read more than one verse. I, I don't want enough to transform me. I just want that, that quick feel-good moment where I can continue my streak. I, I don't want so much of the Word of God that it'll actually change my mind. I just want enough to feel a little bit better about myself. Just, just a little bit of Jesus. I'll attend church sometimes. If there's nothing else more appealing on the calendar, I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to be generous. I'm not going to give. Don't get crazy. Don't ask me to do that kind of stuff. I'm not going to do anything too radical. I just want to kind of come and sit and watch. Just give me a little bit of Jesus and say some stuff that's going to help me make me feel better about I'm going into a tough week and, and I'm here, actually the whole world's here just for me. And so I need you to say something that's going to kind of help me. I need to be encouraged. Don't say anything that's going to convict me or oppress me. I, I want just a little bit of Jesus. I want to feel a little bit better about my life, but, but I don't really want to change my life. I want to feel better about myself, but I don't want to be different. But Jesus came full of grace and truth. Did you know churches have tendencies? And just like when you're a parent, each of your kid will have their own tendencies, their own personalities, and some are athletic and some are musical and 
Some can be in theater and drama and that they all have things they're strong at. Some are good at math and science and some, uh, it's, it's English. And some, like me, I wasn't good in math, science, I was good in Texan, which is a whole different language. But we all have different strengths and churches can take on different personalities. And I grew up in church that was all about truth. I grew up in church that, that did not know how to show grace. I grew up in a church that felt good about making people feel bad about themselves. And a lot of us grew up that way. And so there was this shift in culture in the last couple of decades to churches more like C3. But if we're not careful in our embracing of grace that was so absent, we can abandon truth, which is what is actually freeing. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Grace saves us. Truth sets us free. So what is grace? The word is charis in the Greek. It, it means the undeserved kindness and favor, the, the goodwill of God, the loving kindness, kindness of God. It's undeserved. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace, nothing you can earn, nothing you can do. Grace, you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now the thing about a gift, the more precious the gift, the higher in cost. Maybe monetarily, maybe in time invested in thinking through or putting something together. It's not always money, but the more precious the gift, the higher the cost. There's always a cost to a gift, but the unique thing about the gift is it always costs the giver, not the receiver. And so this verse tells me, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Jesus came full of grace and truth. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And as a follower of Jesus, I am supposed to live in that tension, which is a blessing of, of grace and truth. Both, both are supposed to be fully evident in my life. Where do I start? How do I accomplish that? They're both supposed to be fully there. And maybe your personality leans toward grace, or maybe your personality leans toward truth, but, but how do you get there? How do you get to being full of both? Well, we're to live full of both, but notice the text. Which came first? Who came from the Father full of grace and truth. See, as a follower of Jesus, I believe we begin with, we live in grace. And it is the grace that earns us the credibility to proclaim the truth. Truth has no traction. Truth benefits no one if it's not shared from a foundation of grace. I grew up in a church hearing all about the truth. A truth that I pushed back across the desk and said, no thank you, because of how absent grace was. Think about the people sitting on your row. Or sitting in your section. I wonder who in your section... Who do you think in your section needs grace? There's the lady who has friends. She seems to have a lot of friends. But inside, she both loves them and hates them. Because she's a jealous person. And so she's kind to their face, but she talks behind their backs. Because her insecurities are so bold in her own life... She pretends to love, 
but the jealousy is eating her away. Do you think she needs grace? Then there's her husband. He's a man that is driven by money. He's driven to be successful. It's all about the dollar. And he would never call himself, but in the reality, if you look up the definition, he's a man driven by greed. And when you're driven by greed, you never have enough. It's always got to be more. So his life is very unsettled. Do Do you think he needs grace. Further down the road, there's the lady. She, she loves Jesus. She leads a community group. It's one of the community groups that are growing the most. She's impacting the lives of other women. She's helping so many. But she still wrestles after all of these years with anger toward her mom. She knows because she's read her Bible that she's supposed to forgive. But she has no idea how. And it's eating her alive. Do you think, you think she needs grace? Then there's the guy. The guy who was never nurtured really has no relationship with his mother. And because of that, and to keep from being hurt, he just decided to feel nothing. He grew up in a home where his mother was very concerned about what everybody thought all the time. So he decided at a young age, an age that he doesn't even remember how young he was, he saw the lack of authenticity in caring about what everybody thinks, so he decided to care about what nobody thinks. Because of that, he's been harsh, and he he lives for himself. I think he needs grace. And, And then there's the guy... The guy who's a Christ follower, he reads his Bible almost every day. He tries to live a life that honors God. But he has a blind spot because this guy looks down the entire row and judges everybody else. This guy looks like he's got it all together. But in reality, he's filled with pride. Do you think he needs grace? And if you look down your row or in your section or around this room, who do you think needs grace the most? And could it be that all of us, in our background, all of us with our own stories, all of us with our own experiences, could it be that every single one of us needs a very large dose of grace? See, so often as followers of Jesus, we've gotten this wrong. So often as the church, we've gotten this wrong. We've told people you have to behave the right way. And for so long, the church has said, if you behave and you believe, you can belong. But that's not the message of Jesus. Jesus says, come as you are, no matter what seat you're sitting in, come as you are, and I will change you. I will correct your behavior, and I will help your beliefs. The church is a place where people can belong before they behave. They can belong before they believe because it is grace that saves. It is the grace of God. It is the kindness of God. The Bible says it is the kindness of God that draws men to himself. It wasn't the truth that saved me. It was the kindness of God that saved me. The love of God, the unconditional love of God. A God who could love me when I wouldn't love me. 
A God who loved me so much to die for me. To give His Son for me. That God, it, it's the kindness of God. The grace of God that saves. But some people say, no, wait a minute. Doesn't that set up a life where people can just live however they want? Where people can just do anything and believe anything? If it's all grace. Well, no, the Apostle Paul addressed that in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? See, we lead with grace. But as a follower of Jesus, we're called to proclaim truth. You know what I've noticed about truth? Even when you lead with grace... Truth can feel harsh to those who don't like it. Someone's reaction to truth does not determine whether or not it's truth. Someone's belief about the truth does not determine whether or not it's truth. Our responsibility is to share truth on a foundation of grace filled with love. I I am not to share truth based on an agenda of manipulating a person to respond in a way that I'd like them to. Their response is not up to me. That's up to the Spirit of God. As a follower of Jesus, I am to love God and love people. And from a place of love, which is a place of humility, not arrogance, I am to share truth with people out of love and out of grace. Never seeing myself better as anybody else on the row in the neighborhood, on the block, in the office, in the classroom. It's grace proclaiming truth. Today, people in our culture are skeptical of those who claim to know truth. If you claim to know the truth, you're seen as arrogant. If you claim to know the truth, you're even seen as maybe maybe dangerous. But we've got to wrap our minds around a reality, and that is this. The truth... The truth is not restrictive. The truth is not punishing. The truth is freeing and the truth is life-giving. All the way back, Genesis chapter 1, the Garden of Eden. God said it was good. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy anything you want, just avoid one tree. Because if you eat at that tree, you will die spiritually. What God said in no way was to limit their fun. It was to enhance their freedom. It was to protect them and and let them know this is how you enjoy the garden. You you stay away from danger. You enjoy the creation. This was not a harsh statement. This was a loving statement from a loving God to each and every one of us. Here are the things you embrace. Here's the truth you live in. Here's how you're to treat people. Here's how you're to function in life. Here are the things you avoid, not to limit your life, but to enhance your life. The truth is not harsh. The truth is loving. But I wonder, I wonder if our friends and neighbors push truth back across the desk because of how we've wrapped it sometimes. Grace saves us. Truth sets us free. So the people on your aisle, the people in your home, the people you work with, the people in your neighborhood, which ones need grace? And which ones need truth? This wife and mom 
who's eaten up with jealousy. She needs to know that she is deeply loved by God. She needs to know that she matters and she is valued. And she's precious. And she's welcome here. But she also needs to know that the choices she's making are decaying her soul and creating a lack of authentic friendships and relationships in her life and that God has a better way and that she's got to come to the place of contentment and the Spirit of God can lead her there and she's got to learn the discipline of being able to celebrate blessings in other people's lives rather than resenting them. Because without that, she's going to live in this prison the rest of her life. For her, there is both grace and truth. For her husband, who lives a life chasing greed, he he needs to know that he is deeply loved by God. That there's no one that walks planet earth that's more valuable to him, to God, than him. And that God has a purpose and a plan for his life. But he also needs to know that Scripture says, It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Not money, the love of money. He needs to know that he has built a cell around his life and he lives in a daily prison because he'll never achieve the more that he craves. Because the more that he's craving is temporal, not eternal. He needs to know that God loves him and has a better plan for his life. And there is a way to freedom, and that is in worshiping Jesus, not money. That is in chasing Jesus, not money. He, he needs to know that. This lady, who's been a Christ follower for a long time, the lives that she has touched have not gone unnoticed by God. She needs to know how much God loves her and how much He sees her acts of service and the way she serves her community group and the way she leads that Bible study and and the way He uses His Spirit in and through her life to impact the lives of others. She, She is being used by God. But she also needs to know that the choice to not forgive is a choice to live in bitterness. And the choice to not forgive, no matter how bad or harsh it was with her mom, in that choice, she is elevating herself above a God who's forgiven her and everybody else on planet Earth. She needs to know that people who choose not to forgive, as they grow older, it begins to create a corrosion around the heart and the soul And it begins to impact other relationships. She needs to know that while she's done well so far, this is going to change her and this is going to destroy her and it's going to destroy the relationships that are the most important to her. But God can heal what is hurting in her life and longs to do so. She just has to make the deliberate choice to give it to Him. She she needs grace and, and truth. And this guy, the judgmental guy, he needs to know that God loves him. That Jesus died for him. That he is as valuable as anybody else in the room or on the planet. But he also needs to know that Scripture teaches that pride comes before a fall. He needs to know that Scripture teaches that if you elevate yourself, God will humble you. But if you humble yourself, God will elevate you. 
There's some things he needs to embrace because God has a better life. He, he was made for more. And you might be thinking, you skipped one. No. This was my chair. Living a life in younger years consumed with self. Not caring what anybody else thought. Hurting people along the way. It set the stage for moving into a marriage where I thought I was supposed to be the center of the marriage and the person that I was marrying was supposed to perform and act and say and do all the things I wanted. It was about where I wanted to go to eat and where I wanted to go on vacation and what I wanted to get the kids for Christmas and where I wanted them to go and what sports I wanted them to play and without even recognizing it or realizing it, but fully dealing with the reality that I was responsible for diminishing in my mind people that I loved. And I needed to know that God loved me and would forgive me and has the power to restore and change and transform from the inside. I I needed to know and I needed to experience the transforming power of the Spirit of God in my life. I, I, I watched God in my life after creating a lot of pain and hurt. Do through the Spirit of God something that was all God, grace, but dealt with the truth of the sin in my life. I watched God do a spiritual heart transplant and change who I am and how I think. I needed grace and I needed truth. We live in a world that needs both grace and truth. Grace saves us. Truth frees us. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. His grace offered to you and me is so undeserved that it makes no sense. This this grace comforts people who mess up. This grace loves the outcast. This grace touched the lepers. This grace befriended prostitutes. This grace hung out with people who religious people ignored. And this grace died a horrifically cruel death on a cross for every single one of us. And then truth, this truth founded and connected to this grace, this truth is chain-breaking. This truth is sin-shattering. This truth is not limiting. It is elevating. This truth is intimacy-building, and it is life-giving. It is the most freeing thing you and I could ever embrace. Don't ever push back truth from the Father because you don't like how it's packaged coming into your life. See, our culture, I don't believe our culture is rejecting Jesus. I believe our culture is rejecting the distorted view of Jesus we've given them. Because we've embraced grace that says it doesn't matter how you live. And we've embraced truth that says, I don't love you, you better straighten up. And we've given people a distorted view of who Jesus is. He came full of grace and truth. Truth 
founded in grace, connected together, and that's how you and I are to live in this world. And see, if you're not a Christ follower, if you see who Jesus really is, you'll want to follow him today. Grace saves us. Truth sets us free. You were made for more than just one. You were made for grace and truth. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, in this moment, I pray for every Christ follower in this room that today and throughout this week we would evaluate our own lives. Am I, am I living a life full of both grace and truth in my interactions with my family, with my friends, with my coworkers, with my classmates, with my teammates? Am I living a life of grace and truth? Father, I pray, as David prayed, that you would reveal our hearts, that you would show us who we are, that we would confess the sin where it is in our lives, if we've lived in one extreme or the other, and that you would, through your Spirit, transform us to represent you well, to live a life full of grace and truth. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you know that the greatest need of your life is to surrender your life to Christ. Not just to pray a prayer, not to check off a list, not to become more religious, but but to begin an intimate, daily, personal relationship with a living God who loves you deeply. If that's where you are, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of the moment. Just say, Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin. Help me to live for you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you look at me a second? If you just prayed that prayer, I'd love to know that. I want to invite you to grab your cell phone. Just shoot me a text. Send just your first name. That's it, your first name to 407-487-8311. The reason I ask you to do that is I'll get the list of names this afternoon, and I'd love to be able to pray for you by name this week. I'd love to be able to do that. You really do matter to us here at C3. 